2: Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Brinkinridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR.
1: I'm Tony King. Global News uh, Mike Armstrong has... Been in the courtroom in Lac-Megantic today where the jury on the ninth day of deliberations has found all three rail company employees charged in the disaster not guilty on all counts. The disaster in 2013 killed 47 people. We'll have more information on this story as it unfolds. From 770 CHQR News Center, I'm Tony King. Well, there you have it. Now you know why. It took them nine days to come to a decision. If you want to continue following, uh, Armstrong, G.N., Mike Armstrong, as Tony mentioned, is in the courtroom. All three rail company employees found not guilty of all charges. Sort of interesting, when we were talking with Ari Goldkind about this earlier in the week, he, uh, he, I got the, distinct, the impression that if, if anything... They would have found Tom Harding, the engineer, guilty because he had additional charges that are levied were levied against him. Uh, fascinating that they ultimately came down to a, a unanimous decision. I, I'm, uh, it's shocking actually when you when you think about all, all the challenges that they had. They had to go back into the courtroom twice to be able to make sure they understood the the judge's uh, direction to them. And Mike, the last tweet he put up is it looks like one of the accused is close to tears. I'm sitting beside the father of one of the victims. He's extremely happy. One of the victims. Interesting. I think in the end, uh, the, th- there's a recognition that there's greater accountability up the scale. The Transport Canada being one, uh, the issue of whether or not the rail company was consistently failing to do the proper safety provisions and the enforcement of that. So uh, when something terrible happens you got to make sure that the right people are held accountable. So there you have it. Uh, well, we, we, you, you will no doubt have more time to talk about it this afternoon. If you want to weigh in on it now, 403-974-8255, you go ahead and do that. We are going to talk about this forum that's happening tonight. Now, the forum was initially supposed to include representatives from Fish and Wildlife, and they've begged off, sadly, but it will proceed anyway. With uh, one of my guests uh, uh, who is the conservation officer for the uh, that I've spoken with before on this issue. Her name is Lisa Delside. We will also be speaking with Clint, uh, Clint Dawkin tonight. He's a lawyer. And then David Swan, the Liberal MLA, is going to be there with a petition to try to get government to change the policy back to what it was before. Now, you've heard me um, mention a couple of times, because I've been sort of watching this when we had those three little bears that were trapped in the washroom. Then there was a, a moose that was allowed to die out in a farmer's field up in the Edmonton area. And then this last case, and you scratch your head wondering what is going on. There seems to be an ethic within fish and wildlife that let nature take its course, even if it means the animal dies. And I don't know if that is consistent with the ethic that we have uh, among Alberta voters and taxpayers. That being said, uh, if you do have a rehab center that is allowed to accept these animals in Alberta, it's not taxpayer funded. It's entirely privately funded. All that needs to be done is they need to rescind the order that makes it illegal for them to be able to treat these animals and return them to the wild. Now I know someone sent me a note earlier, Bev, she's, She said, I can understand where you're coming from, but that picture of that bear going through the drive-thru and licking ice cream, that's an example of why it is human beings shouldn't uh, intervene in rescuing some of these animals. And to which I say, look, there's two different issues here, and let's try not to confuse them. The, The issue of an animal that is taken for a zoo operation and how it is treated while it is in captivity is a totally different issue than what we're talking about here. That is probably worth a debate about whether or not we should talk about that. But I don't want anyone to think that these rehab centers are going to be putting a bear in the back of a car and taking it in for an ice cream at a local drive through That's not what they do. They try to keep it in a condition where it will be able to be returned to the wild so that it does not come into human contact in future. And the question would be then is what kind of successes – are there around the world? Is there anything to justify the fish and wildlife position that they have taken on it? There's a couple things that um we're gonna talk about here. at uh, Lisa Delside, part time naturalist with the Weaselhead Glenmore Park Preservation Society, education director for the Cochrane Ecological Institute, joins us now to talk about. It. Lisa, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. And we also have Valerie Stefan who is founder and director of the Animals Trust, which is an Idaho-based organization, conservation organization, that, guess what, specializes in being able to take orphan bears and those who are injured and return them back to the wild. Thank you so much for being with me, Valerie. Hi. I I do need to make a
0: clarification. Um, The Animals Trust doesn't rehab and release bears. Um, It's Idaho Black Bear Rehab, of which I was the past uh, director of education and outreach, that uh, rehabilitates and releases uh, bears in Idaho.
1: Got it. Okay, so let's talk about the work that you did while you were there so that we understand a little bit more about, because you get the impression from the officials here that they are so concerned that these bears will become um, acclimatized to humans, that they won't be able to successfully be put back in the wild. What, What was your experience there?
0: Well, the data not only from Idaho Black Bear Rehab, which has been rehabilitating and releasing um, black bears since 1989, um, that data, the follow-up data after release doesn't even come close to supporting that type of thinking. Um, you know, over 200 bears have uh, come to Idaho Black Bear Rehab, orphaned or injured cubs. Um, they've been cared for, provided medical care. Uh, nutrition, had the opportunity to socialize with other bear cubs when they're uh, in rehab, and then they're released, Uh, the data that's come back shows that over 96% of those bears that are released are considered successfully released, meaning they don't have any, uh, get into trouble with people. And for those bears that were released, that the, the circumstances weren't necessarily that they um, had clear conflict behavior with humans, but perhaps came a little bit too close. Those documented cases are less than 2%, which corresponds with the same percentage of bears that never went into rehab, that are wild bears that come into conflict with people.
1: So they are no more likely to end up being becoming what they call a, a problem bear, is what I'm hearing from your staff. Absolutely not. And, you know, one of the,
0: you know, I call them the myths and fallacies about bear rehab. One of those things, and it, it, the term is used a lot, a fear that those bears will become habituated. Well, habituated bears are actually bears that have become used to people, but just basically ignore people. Say like the bears in Yellowstone Park, you know, that people pull over on the roads to look at that are foraging out in the out in the field. What really, I think what the, the agencies are more concerned about is that the bears will become food conditioned, where they're actually coming to people looking for food, be it garbage, um, be it picnics, be it camping, you know, supplies or bird feed. And again, the data does not support that. The bears in rehab, although they're getting they're provided food from their caretakers They don't associate that same experience, that place-based experience in rehab with the same type of, uh, when they're released, they don't keep that association. Oh, I get food from people. It's a completely different circumstance when they're released. And they go out, obtain and look for food, obtain food just like any other wild bear.
1: So I found it interesting that you talked particularly about cubs. Is there a difference between how cubs are treated versus older bears?
0: Well, cubs, if they come in and they're actually because, uh, you know, bear cubs, they can be either they look very small, but they've actually been out of the den maybe for a while with their mother. But if they're still would be nursing, you know, then they're actually bottle fed at Idaho Black Bear Rehab, just like any other rehab organization. Um, And so then they're bottle fed and then they move to obtaining um, you know, their, their food out of a, some type of bowl, you know, a mush, high nutrition because they need lots of fat in their diet. And then if they get a little bit old and they, they have enclosures that are comport with the size of the bear, if they're, they're an infant, they wouldn't move around too much. Their enclosure is small and usually has an indoor component to it. As they uh, mature and get older, um, say by the time they're four months, six months, you know, they're in an outdoor enclosure, and they're all always associating with other cubs. And then they move to a diet, you know, of fruits and vegetables and fish, maybe some wild game, you know, uh, uh, that's roadkill. Um, and uh, and then a base, they have like a bear pellet um, base diet. Um, but they're still, caretakers are still entering the enclosure, you know, to put food in and to clean. But the bears most often, if it's not hibernating season like it is now, the bears more off, most often just move to the other end of the large enclosure. The caretaker does their, what they need to do and they leave. Can the I, bears aren't trying to interact with the people.
1: Do you, how would you have dealt differently with this Springbank bear case? The, those uh, who are trying to get, force fish and wildlife to take a different approach, call them Russell. How, how would you have dealt differently with that case?
0: Well, and you know, and I'm not—I don't have all the details on that particular case, but I think any time that the public is aware of uh, um, an animal, a wild creature um, suffering, and you know, it's in—it's in the the eye shot and the the experience, you know, of of humans, uh, you know, people want something to be done. They want, um, you know, care to be provided for the animal if it's not able to do it on its own, meaning it's too young or it's too injured. And so, obviously, the it should be uh, if it can't care for its own on its own. When it also cannot care for itself, it's more likely to get into trouble by accessing, you know, non-traditional food stuff because it's desperate. It should be brought in. It should be evaluated. You know, it's conditioned, examined, hands-on veterinarian, and a decision made whether or not it looks like its uh, medical condition can be corrected, where it can be released, and if so, put it into rehab, let it recover, and then release it back into the wild. Let me. If it can't, the can... kind of thing, the policy with Idaho black bear rehab was that it would be kinder to euthanize, you know, the bear than to put it into a lifetime of captivity. We never recommended long-term captivity for bears that couldn't be rehabilitated.
1: So let me bring Lisa in um, and hearing what Valerie has to say. How unusual is the Alberta government's approach compared to what happens in other jurisdictions where they have to deal with bears in this state?
2: It's extremely unique. Uh, I've been doing research from all over the world, and John Beecham has a study looking at at. Uh, all the different rehab facilities there's eight bear species in the world and all eight of them are rehabbed successfully and have been for the past 30 years and it's not just the rehab facilities doing it; it's in cooperation and support with the wildlife agencies so Alberta is unique in uh, not supporting this and they're one of the only jurisdictions that don't.
1: What do you uh, hope comes out of your meeting tonight?
2: Uh, We're hoping that people will become informed, informed on the science, such as the science that Valerie just stated, so that they can continue putting the pressure on Alberta Environment and Parks to change this policy. Uh, As we know, in government, things take a long time to change. Uh, It's a big lag time. So in the process of their review, which they are only reviewing this process, this uh, Schedule A, because of public pressure. And so that's a great response. But in that long process of reviewing it, we want people to request that they issue a temporary shelter permit to all the species that are under review until their uh, individual protocols are adopted and accepted by Alberta Environment and Parks and until all wildlife are again allowed to be rehabilitated in Alberta. And we want this commitment for bears specifically before Alberta uh, April 1st, 2018, that's the first day of the spring black bear hunt, and inevitably black bears will be orphaned in the spring bear hunt, so we, we really need this commitment for bears made, and this is their own loophole, this is a law, in the the temporary shelter permit is something that they've created, so they can go ahead and take advantage of it.
1: All right, so make sure I've got the details right. Redwood Meadows Community Centre, which is one Many Horses Drive in Redwood Meadows tonight, uh, doors open at 6 o'clock, and Mm -hmm. then presentations between 7 and 9 p.m. As I understand, there's going to be a petition on site too, right?
2: There will be, yes, and David Swan will be delivering that petition to the legislature at the end of February, and if anybody wants a copy of that petition, we can provide that to them as well.
1: Do you need people to sign up to let, the, let you know that they're coming, or can you just show oh, up? You can just show up, yeah. All, all right, well, I'm looking forward to it tonight. Thank you both for the background on this. I sure appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. You got it. That's Valerie Stephen LeBouffe, who was formerly with an Idaho Rehab Center and currently with the Animals Trust, founder and director of that. And then uh Lisa Dalseed, who is part-time naturalist at the Weaselhead Glenmore Preservation Society, education director for the Cochrane Ecological Institute, which has the capacity to be able to do exactly what that Idaho group is doing. They just need to have the okay from government. And as Lisa points out, this is the absurdity of it all. There's going to be a bear hunt. There's going to be bear cubs orphaned. We're going to go through the same public rigmarole that we did last year of saying, oh my goodness, we've got to make sure that these bears are taken care of until they can be released to the wild. And then we're going to have to ship them off to Ontario again. If we know that this is going to happen, why wouldn't they change the policy? That just makes sense to me. Let's take a pause. We'll have a few more minutes for calls when we return. Stay with us on 770 CHQR.